0: chapter nine of the birth of tragedy by friedrich nietzsche this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine whatever rises to the surface in the dialogue of the apollonian part of greek tragedy appears simple transparent beautiful in this sense the dialogue is a copy of the hellene whose nature reveals itself in the dance because in the dance the greatest energy is merely potential but betrays itself nevertheless in flexible and vivacious movements the language of the sophoclean heroes for instance surprises us by its apollonian precision and clearness so that we at once imagine we see into the innermost recesses of their being and marvel not a little that the way to these recesses is so short but if for the moment we disregard the character of the hero which rises to the surface and grows visible and which at bottom is nothing but the light picture cast on a dark wall that is appearance through and through if rather we enter into the myth which projects itself in these bright mirrorings we shall of a sudden experience a phenomenon which bears a reverse relation to one familiar in optics when after a vigorous effort to gaze into the sun we turn away blinded we have dark-colored spots before our eyes as restoratives so to speak while on the contrary those light-picture phenomena of the sophoclean hero in short the apollonian of the mask are the necessary productions of a glance into the secret and terrible things of nature as it were shining spots to heal the eye which dire night has seared only in this sense can we hope to be able to grasp the true meaning of the serious and significant notion of greek cheerfulness while of course we encounter the misunderstood notion of this cheerfulness as resulting from a state of unendangered comfort on all the ways and paths of the present time the most sorrowful figure of the greek stage the hapless Oedipus, was understood by sophocles as the noble man who in spite of his wisdom was destined to error and misery but nevertheless through his extraordinary sufferings ultimately exerted a magical wholesome influence on all around him which continues effective even after his death the noble man does not sin this is what the thoughtful poet wishes to tell us all laws all natural order yea the moral world itself may be destroyed through his action but through this very action a higher magic circle of influences is brought into play which establish a new world on the ruins of the old that has been overthrown this is what the poet in so far as he is at the same time a religious thinker wishes to tell us as poet he shows us first of all a wonderfully complicated legal mystery which the judge slowly unravels link by link to his own destruction the truly hellenic delight at this dialectical loosening is so great that a touch of surpassing cheerfulness is thereby communicated to the entire play which everywhere blunts the edge of the horrible presuppositions of the procedure in the oedipus at Colonus, we find the same cheerfulness elevated however to an infinite transfiguration in contrast to the aged king subjected to an excess of misery and exposed solely as a sufferer to all that befalls him we have here a supermundane cheerfulness which descends from a divine sphere and intimates to us that in his purely passive attitude the hero attains his highest activity the influence of which extends far beyond his life while his earlier conscious musing and striving led him only to passivity thus then the legal knot of the fable of oedipus which to mortal eyes appears indissolubly entangled is slowly unravelled and the profoundest human joy comes upon us in the presence of this divine counterpart of dialectics if this explanation does justice to the poet it may still be asked whether the substance of the myth is thereby exhausted and here it turns out that the entire conception of the poet is nothing but the light picture which healing nature holds up to us after a glance into the abyss oedipus the murderer of his father the husband of his mother oedipus the interpreter of the riddle of the sphinx what does the mysterious triad of these deeds of destiny tell us there is a primitive popular belief especially in persia that a wise magian can be born only of incest which we have forthwith to interpret to ourselves with reference to the riddle solving and mother marrying oedipus to the effect that when the boundary of the present and future the rigid law of individuation and in general the intrinsic spell of nature are broken by prophetic and magical powers and extraordinary counter naturalness as in this case incest must have preceded as a cause for how else could one force nature to surrender her secrets but by victoriously opposing her that is by means of the unnatural it is this intuition which i see imprinted in the awful triad of the destiny of oedipus the very man who solves the riddle of nature that double constituted sphinx must also as the murderer of his father and husband of his mother break the holiest laws of nature indeed it seems as if the myth sought to whisper into our ears that wisdom especially dionysian wisdom is an unnatural abomination and that whoever through his knowledge plunges nature into an abyss of annihilation must also experience the dissolution of nature in himself the sharpness of wisdom turns round upon the sage wisdom is a crime against nature such terrible expressions does the myth call out to us but the hellenic poet touches like a sunbeam the sublime and formidable memnonian statue of the myth so that it suddenly begins to sound in sophoclean melodies with the glory of passivity i now contrast the glory of activity which illuminates the prometheus of aeschylus that which aeschylus the thinker had to tell us here but which as a poet he only allows us to surmise by his symbolic picture The youthful Goethe succeeded in disclosing to us in the daring words of his Prometheus, "Hier zit ich, forma Menschen, nach meinem Bilde, ein Geschlecht, das mir gleich sei zu Leiden, zu Weinen, zu Genesen, und und zu Frauen sich und dein nicht zu achten wie ich." here sit i forming mankind in my image a race resembling me to sorrow and to weep to taste to hold to enjoy and not have need of thee as i man elevating himself to the rank of the titans acquires his culture by his own efforts and compels the gods to unite with him because in his self-sufficient wisdom he has their existence and their limits in his hand what is most wonderful however in this promethean form which according to its fundamental conception is the specific hymn of impiety is the profound yearning for justice the untold sorrow of the bold single-handed being on the one hand and the divine need ay the foreboding of a twilight of the gods on the other the power of these two worlds of suffering constraining to reconciliation to metaphysical oneness all this suggests most forcibly the central and main position of the aeschylaian view of things which sees morira as eternal justice enthroned above gods and men in view of the astonishing boldness with which aeschylus places the olympian world on his scales of justice it must be remembered that the deep-minded greek had an immovably firm substratum of metaphysical thought in his mysteries and that all his skeptical paroxysms could be discharged upon the olympians with reference to these deities the greek artist in particular had an obscure feeling as to mutual dependency and it is just in the prometheus of aeschylus that this feeling is symbolized the titanic artist found in himself the daring belief that he could create men and at least destroy olympian deities namely by his superior wisdom for which to be sure he had to atone by eternal suffering the splendid canning of the great genius bought too cheaply even at the price of eternal suffering the stern pride of the artist this is the essence and soul of Aeschylean poetry while sophocles in his oedipus preluding strikes up the victory song of the saint but even this interpretation which aeschylus has given to the myth does not fathom its astounding depth of terror the fact is rather that the artist's delight in unfolding the cheerfulness of artistic creating bidding defiance to all calamity is but a shining stellar and nebular image reflected in a black sea of sadness the tale of prometheus is an original possession of the entire aryan family of races and documentary evidence of their capacity for the profoundly tragic indeed it is not improbable that this myth has the same characteristic significance for the aryan race that the myth of the fall of man has for the semitic and that there is a relationship between the two myths like that of brother and sister the presupposition of the promethean myth is the transcendent value which a naive humanity attached to fire as the true palladium of every ascending culture that man however should dispose at will of this fire and should not receive it only as a gift from heaven as the igniting lightning or the warming solar flame appeared to the contemplative primordial men as crime and robbery of the divine nature and thus the first philosophical problem at once causes a painful irreconcilable antagonism between man and god and puts as it were a mass of rock at the gate of every culture the best and highest that men can acquire they obtain by a crime and must now in their turn take upon themselves its consequences namely the whole flood of sufferings and sorrows with which the offended celestials must visit the nobly aspiring race of man a bitter reflection which by the dignity it confers on crime Contrasts strangely with the semitic myth of the fall of man in which curiosity beguilement seducibility wantonness in short a whole series of pre-eminently feminine passions were regarded as the origin of evil what distinguishes the aryan representation is the sublime view of active sin as the properly promethean virtue which suggests at the same time the ethical basis of pessimistic tragedy as the justification of human evil of human guilt as well as of the suffering incurred thereby the misery in the essence of things which the contemplative Aryan is not disposed to explain away the antagonism in the heart of the world manifests itself to him as a medley of different worlds for instance a divine and a human world each of which is in the right individually but as a separate existence alongside of another has to suffer for its individuation with the heroic effort made by the individual for universality in his attempt to pass beyond the bounds of individuation and become the one universal being he experiences in himself the primordial contradiction concealed in the essence of things that is he trespasses and suffers accordingly crime is understood by the arians to be a man sin by the semites a woman as also the original crime is committed by man the original sin by woman besides the witch's chorus says wir nehmen das nicht so genau g- 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 now mit tausen schritten max die frau doch wie sie auch sick island con mit einem sprung macht der man we do not measure with such care woman in thousand steps is there but howsoever she hasten may man in one leap has cleared the way he who understands this innermost core of the tale of prometheus namely the necessity of crime imposed on the titanically striving individual will at once be conscious of the un apollonian nature of this pessimistic representation for apollo seeks to pacify individual beings precisely by drawing boundary lines between them and by again and again calling attention thereto with his requirements of self-knowledge and due proportion as the holiest laws of the universe in order however to prevent the form from congealing to egyptian rigidity and coldness in consequence of this apollonian tendency in order to prevent the extinction of the motion of the entire lake in the effort to prescribe to the individual wave its path and compass the high tide of the dionysian tendency destroyed from time to time all the little circles in which the one-sided apollonian will sought to confine the hellenic world the suddenly swelling tide of the dionysian then takes the separate little wave mountains of individuals on its back just as the brother of prometheus the titan atlas does with the earth this titanic impulse to become as it were the atlas of all individuals and to carry them on broad shoulders higher and higher farther and farther is what the promethean and the dionysian have in common in this respect the aeschalian prometheus is a dionysian mask while well, in the aforementioned profound yearning for justice aeschylus betrays to the intelligent observer his paternal descent from apollo the god of individuation and of the boundaries of justice and so the double being of the the prometheus his conjoint dionysian and apollonian nature might be thus expressed in an abstract formula whatever exists is alike just and unjust and equally justified in both das ist eine welt das heißt eine welt this is thy world and what a world chapter nine